today, we are going to take on a question that maybe you've heard out loud before, but it's certainly one that at the very least we've all asked ourselves in our head. It seems like an utterly simple question, but I think it's one that, that maybe kind of gets skipped over as we try to answer all of these other complex questions of life. Why are you saved? If you're in a discussion with one of your friends, what's your answer to that? Somebody that maybe is, is apart from the Christian faith or, or is loosely attached to it but doesn't totally understand it and asks you why you have the hope that you have. Why are you saved? What's your answer? I want you to seriously take 15 or 20 seconds and, and think about it to yourself or, or please, by all means, talk about it with the person sitting next to you. Why are you saved? What's a two-sentence answer you would give to that? I hope you've got your answer. And we'll explore your answer a little bit deeper, and we'll see in our reading for today from Romans what Paul's answer would have been for himself, what Abraham's answer would have been for himself, and what our answer can be for ourselves today. In order to talk about, about this idea of faith versus works, Paul brings Abraham into the and when he's writing to these, these Jewish people and these Gentile people that are both in the Christian church at Rome. And, and he kicks off chapter 4 with, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about. But not before God. Yeah, Paul's doing it again. We find ourselves in Romans where, I don't know if you've read it before and gotten confused. I know I have. And we find ourselves smack dab in the middle of, Paul's, one, of one of Paul's important discourses on, what our, on our salvation. And the question is, are we saved by what we do or are we saved by faith? Are we saved by the works of the law or, or are we saved by grace? I want you to, to understand just how brilliant Paul's argument here is because he invokes Abraham. And as he talks to these, these Christians and these, these former Jewish people at the church at Rome, they had to have thought to themselves, yes, Abraham, we know Abraham. Abraham was the best. No one in their right mind could have possibly said that they were bigger or better or more faithful than Abraham. Abraham was at the absolute top of the game. And God said and Paul is saying then brothers and sisters how was Abraham saved? Was it faith or was it works? He he talks about in in verse 2 about about boasting and it's sort of genius because what Paul is essentially saying is that if Abraham didn't find something to boast about in front of God then none of you guys are going to be able to do it either. Yeah, we might all be able to, to have things in our lives that we can show off to one another. These, these worldly successes, sometimes these, these successes that even impact our spiritual life in this world that, that we could really show some of our, our friends and our neighbors and say, look how great this is. 
but even if you have those successes, what Paul is saying is even those successes are nothing to boast of in front of God. He's essentially saying that, that the law does one thing, and it, and it makes you have to look at God and say, you have done everything for my salvation. I have done nothing to contribute to my salvation. Because if Abraham wasn't be able, able to be saved by works, then there is no way that Simeon Crass is able to be saved by his works. He continues to explain it with, with verse 3. How does Abraham see himself? This is what Genesis says about him. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Do you see where the righteousness comes from? It's not something that Abraham worked out for himself. It's not something that he stirred up inside because of his faithful devotion to God. It is something that comes from outside of him. Faith is credited as righteousness, but that that righteousness does not belong to Abraham. That righteousness is given to Abraham through faith. It changes the entire way that we see the salvation story because there are so many people that, that look at our Christian faith and they think, I've got something to do with my salvation. I have to serve the right way. I have to show up to church a certain number of times. I have to give this much. I have to be this faithful. And then God will finally turn his head to me and say, well done, now you are a Christian. Now you have righteousness. But what does the passage say? It says, Abram believed God. And that was credited to him as righteousness. And so I guess that's where this $1 million question comes into play. What is faith? Is faith something that we do for God? Is it a good work that we do in order to make him smile upon us? Or is it something different? Don't worry. Paul's way ahead of us as he continues to go through this chapter. He says, now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Paul shows us a picture of something that we can all understand, a job. You get done working long, tedious hours at your place of business. The 40, 50, 60, 70 hour work week ends and your boss hands you your paycheck was it a gift? Absolutely not. You worked for every dollar, every penny of that paycheck, and if that person did not pay you what you were owed, shame on them. But is that how our faith works? Is that how our, our salvation works with God? Do we tell him all of the things that we did for him and then say, and God, if you don't pay me back for this, shame on you. No, Paul picks, pits those two things together. He says you are either trying to be saved by works or you can be saved by not working. You can be saved by faith. 
He makes very clear in this passage, faith is not works. Your belief in God is not something that that you do for him. Instead, it is a gift that he gives to you. Does that irritate you a little bit? No, maybe not. Maybe you go, Pastor, that would be insane. Why on earth would a free gift of grace irritate me? And yet this is what scandalizes people. This is what people look at about the Christian faith and they go, no way. If God is perfect, if he is righteous and we are nothing, if we are sinners, then how on earth could it be possible that I don't owe him something? Or maybe they go a step further and they say, no, 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 no. I don't want God to win salvation for me. I want to win salvation for myself. At the very least, I need to be a part of the process. Why? Because that way, at the end of it all, when God says, today you will be with me in paradise, I can say, yes, I will. You're welcome. It seems silly, but that's what the sinful nature wants to do. It wants nothing more than to be able to take a, a prideful part in our salvation story and say, look what I did right over here. And what what Paul is saying is, is that is not how this works. That's not what grace is. That's not the salvation story that God has written for you. He's written one that is based completely upon grace. This verse is where grace hits its heights. As God doesn't say, "I I justify the people that try really hard. God doesn't say, I justify the people that are better than the other 50% of the population. What does God say? God who justifies the ungodly. You and I. The people that that fall before God see the, the level of perfection at which he has attained and we go, wow, I shouldn't even be able to stand before you. God reaches down and says, ungodly as you are, faith is for you. Yes, God, God wants us to take works completely out of the equation. And, and so Paul continues to tell this church at Rome Because they were were struggling with this idea. They were struggling with the idea of faith versus works. They wanted to know why they were saved. They wanted to know the answer to the question that we asked at the beginning of the sermon. And so Paul conveys to them the beauty and the security that is grace. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be the heir of the world but through the righteousness that comes by faith. Let's take a step back. And we've got to go back to Genesis chapter 12, our first reading for this morning, to understand exactly what what Paul is talking about here. Do you remember that, that first reading? When God made all of those promises to Abraham, did you notice what was missing? I'll read it again. The Lord had said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed 
through you. Do you hear any caveats? Do you hear any conditions? No, God says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to multiply you. I'm going to make you my people. It was this unilateral covenant. It means God put himself under obligation. He made a promise to Abram and said, this is going to happen no matter what. That's the same promise he makes to us about, about salvation. That the promises of grace, the promises of Jesus, that because he lives, you also will live, they are not, they're not conditional. No if, ands, or buts. No strings attached. God has said, because your Savior lives, you also will live. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing, and the promise is worthless, because the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. In short, what Paul is saying is that if we try to inherit this promise of God through the law by what we do, we're never going to be secure. We're never going to be able to to find firm footing in this world because as we face our Lord, we are going to ask, have I done enough? Am I good enough? Is there still something that I need to do? Paul is saying, be gone with the law. When it comes to salvation, allow the law to do its job to, to make you realize that you are nothing in the sight of God and then allow the gospel to do everything for you, to lift you up and say, no, even though you are nothing, God has made you everything in his sight. Yes, brothers and sisters, what we have here is God shifting our dependence. No longer depending on ourselves and our lives and our goodness and all of the things that, that inevitably fail at one time or another. But instead he shifts our dependence to him whose salvation and grace for us never fails. Listen to how Paul sums up this point with the, the, the last verses. He says, therefore the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. The promises that God makes are not dependent on us. He's essentially saying to these two groups that were at the church in Rome, okay, if you have a Jewish background and you have lived your entire life keeping the laws of God, keeping those, those Old Testament laws, then guess what? Your faith is that which saves, not your works. And he says the exact same thing to the Gentiles. He says, even if you've never heard of the Old Testament laws until right very now, guess what? You are saved and welcomed into the family of believers through the exact same way, by grace, through faith in Jesus. 
there's a boy, he walks into a museum with his class field trip. And as he's walking around, he looks at all of the pretty paintings, and then about halfway through the day, it's lunchtime, and he takes out his lunchbox, he sits down on the bench, and he eats his peanut butter and jelly sandwich very, 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 very quickly. And the teacher says, okay, it's time to move on, and everybody stands up, and they head to the most beautiful exhibit in the building. And the child looks up, and he sees the coolest painting he's ever seen in his entire life. And he kind of slips his way underneath the velvet rope. And he gets closer and closer to this priceless painting. And he sees it and he's just completely and utterly mesmerized by it. And he, and he reaches his hands out to touch it because he just can't, can't help but want to get very, very, very close to it. And all of a sudden, the security guard comes by, picks him up, and places him back on the outside of the velvet ropes. And he turns to this little boy who has peanut butter and jelly all over his fingers. And he says, look, don't touch. Sometimes I think we need to remind ourselves of that when it comes to our salvation. The sinful nature wants to get its peanut butter and jelly-filled fingers all over God's perfect gift of salvation. It wants us to inject our imperfect works into the salvation story that God has for us. And today God says, no, just look at what I've done for you. You don't have to touch it. What a comfort that is. To know that, that you don't have to add to it. It's something that, that tragically I think a lot of people do, whether, whether they notice it or not. We, we might have answered that question in our head, why am I saved, subconsciously adding our works to the equation. Maybe we said, because I keep the commandments. Or we said, because I had to do the work to accept Jesus into my heart and, and all of the other people couldn't do that work like I did. And that's why I'm saved and they're not. Or maybe we even say, I'm saved because I walk with God and I serve him so diligently. Do you hear that? Do you hear our, our works sort of slipping and sliding their way into those answers just oh so quietly? Today God says, keep those peanut butter and jelly Fingers that are our good works off of the salvation that I won for you because it is perfect as is. It is the most precious gift that you and I have in our lives. What a comfort it is to know that our salvation is not dependent on how strong our faith is day in and day out. If you have a bad day in which doubts creep into your heart and God would happen to come back that day, we can rest assured that he's not going to go, oh, sorry you had a bad Tuesday. You're not coming into my kingdom. No, because our salvation is dependent completely on the gift of grace that comes from God. We don't have to live in trepidation, in fear. Wondering if, if we're good enough. I'll tell you what, it, it gets you through the week. Those moments in which you feel as if you're sort of an imposter Christian, when God says to you, you are mine, you are a part of this family of believers, and I have saved you, 
It means us no longer looking at our works, but instead just looking at the statements, the promises of God, and knowing that they are yes in Christ. Yes, brothers and sisters, we, we could answer that question, that question, why am I saved in so many different ways? But if we ever, if we ever start sliding our works into that answer, go running, screaming from that answer. Let's try a different one out, one out for size. If you ask yourself, why am I saved? Or if somebody on the street asks you why you're saved, let your answer be this. I'm saved because my God is faithful to me. Jesus saves me from my sins and assures me that where he is, there I also will be. That's a gift. Amen.